He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, uh, every once in a while you just see a guest or, or have a guest and you just say, wow, uh, Doc Severinsen is our very special guest today. And if you haven't seen uh, PBS's uh, American Masters, Never Too Late, the Doc Severinsen story, uh, yeah, some people think it is. Uh, it is late that they're doing this, but uh, it, just perfect anytime it comes out. We're talking to a man who has seen the world from a unique situation, uh, a situation where no one else has ever seen it. He is a, a study in the history of entertainment and music. He is a legend, the iconic Doc Severinsen. Doc, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fine, and I'm reminded where your show is coming from, it was the second major place I lived in my life. I'm from the state of Oregon, and I uh, did a lot of my growing up on Jackson, Jackson Heights. Wow. Yeah. Well, listen, we, I, I knew that, and we're very proud of that, by the way. What, what a career. I mean, you even have to look back and just say, just wow. I, who could have expected that as a kid growing up in Oregon and, uh, and, and just looking and, and thinking, what can I accomplish in this world? I, even you, I, I mean, as optimistic as you could be, you never could have imagined it turning out as beautifully as it did, uh, correct? You're absolutely right, and I have a question I want to ask you. Please. What do you think was the thing I most wanted to be in my life? I, I, I didn't, it wasn't a trumpet player or a musician. And you'll never guess, so I'll tell you. Go ahead. I wanted to be a racehorse jockey. Wow. I would have never guessed. And I never outgrew it. Even after I lost all my earnings at the track. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, well, listen, looking back, I mean, if you had to make a choice between what you did and being a racehorse, uh, you know, a jockey, uh, I, I imagine you'd have to pick this. This is, un no, honestly, this is unbelievable. I can't, I can't think of a, a, a comparison who saw the world exactly well, the way uh, you saw it. It came to me from a, a childhood experience. I, I played at the State Fair in Salem, Oregon every year, and a large part of the music we played, we played at the racetrack where they had races all afternoon, every day, seven days a week for the time of the fair. And um, I, I, I was, in, you know, close enough to reach out and touch those jockeys. And... Uh, you know, uh, there was just something about it. I I can't. Uh, but before that, I'd get up early in the mornings and go out on the back stretch, where they they had the barns that they kept the racehorses in, and I I would just wander around there by by the hour, and then at night, I played uh, the the formal horse show where they had the, you know, the jumping horses and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And uh, 
my folks could never understand. They say, what's this thing with you and horses? I said, <laughs> I don't know. But that's, uh, I didn't yeah. want to be around horses for the rest of my life, and I have been. Yeah, well, listen, just uh, amazing. Everyone, of course, knows you for your work with The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And what I'm talking about is is for 30 years, uh, you you had a perspective of of seeing the legends in music, the legends in entertainment, in, in, in newsworthiness. I, I mean, nothing happened really without The Tonight Show being part of it for those 30 years. I mean, you're talking about Anybody, I can't, uh, you know, if you did the six degrees of Doc Severinsen, I, I can't imagine uh, it, it, it there being anybody that it hasn't touched somewhere along the, well, the line. It's just amazing. As I look back on it, uh, I think it's a good thing that I didn't become a racehorse jockey <laughs> or, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think my place was exactly where I wound up. I, I couldn't I could not ask for more than that. Is there a standout moment or, or a little, little group of moments that you could point to? And again, we'll remind everybody to uh, to watch PBS's Never Too Late, the Doc Severinsen story. I, is is there, you know, again, I you've you've seen everything. Uh, is there a handful of things or one thing that stands out more than the other? Yes, I've. I've I had been playing in the, the Skitch Anderson's band on the Tonight Show, and uh, I got to know Johnny, and he had me go out and do concerts with him in big, huge venues, you know, places that seated oh, 15 or 20,000 people, and I'd put together a band in that town and play music as part of the show we we did a dip a whole different kind of show and um that went on for a few years and um one day the producer stan Irwin of the show came up to me he says hey doc uh um john asked me to talk to you he says uh, he's not quite uh, he wants to make a change in the band and would you be interested in coming back uh, to the show as the band leader? And I, when I said yes, I think they heard it uh, 100,000 miles away. <laughs> That's how, how loud I said, yes! <laughs> and uh, um, it, it's the biggest single moment in my life. I, I can I can tell you that, and uh, I I knew exactly what to expect, and I knew what I wanted to do with it, and I was, I was very proud. I I I never thought the day would come, but uh, you know I was satisfied to just be on the show in the band and go out and do dates with uh, Johnny and. Um, but when I look back, that the moment that Stan Irwin said, "Oh, Johnny wants to make a change in the band," he, he said, "Would you be interested in being the leader of the band?" <laughs> <laughs> are, are you kidding? Yeah. 
Just amazing. Listen, I know a million people are waiting to talk to you. Uh, real honor to talk to you, Doc Severinsen. I, just, uh, just absolutely amazing uh, career that you've had and and a life that you've had. And not bad, Arlington, Oregon. Not bad for a kid from Arlington, uh, Oregon. And just if listen, if you want to leave us with something, please do. If you want to give us a website or a social media site, please do. But we want to thank you for being here and congratulations on the on the special. It's uh, just absolutely great well thank you and um sometime when i need to sit down and have a talk yeah way to go doc severinson thanks again for being here okay thank you pbs american masters never too late the doc severinson story uh legend icon whatever you want to put in front of him but it's that whole show i mean ed mcmahon Johnny Carson, Doc Severinsen, uh, it's, you just, you can't get away from the impact that that show had. Uh, you, you make an appearance on that show, and I've had people on, on, on my show say it, you know, like when you had that show and you got on that show, uh, you can create a career off of a, you know, off of a 10-minute appearance. Uh, just uh, one sit-down, if it went well, your career could just absolutely just take off after that. It's not like that now. And that's no slam at uh, Jimmy Fallon. It's just there's 500 stations now or 1,000 stations, and there's a lot of different choices. Back then, there were three networks, and, and what was on at, at, at 11.30 at night? I mean, it was uh, uh, 11 o'clock at night. I, it, what was on to compete with The Tonight Show? It was The Tonight Show or nothing. So the, the power that it had had to do with exclusivity and the timing and I, you know, when he said he, when he got uh, asked to replace Kitch Henderson, and he said yes, and you could hear him from miles away. I mean, I, you know, yeah, you could see why. Uh, it was, a, it was a hit. It was a, uh, you know, when Johnny Carson uh, took over Jack Parr, it, you know, it was a hit with Jack Parr, but nothing like it was with Johnny Carson. And it just was chemistry. And whatever you want to say about Johnny Carson, I, uh, you know, again, I, I never met him. Uh, he was uh, as iconic as they get, but whatever it is, the timing, the uh, the the time period, the uh, the audience, the exclusivity of the audience made that show the most powerful thing that you you could you, you could imagine. It was un, it was nothing like it. And Doc Severinsen, I mean, just wow. I mean, Doc Severinsen is the last remaining. I mean, uh, Ed McMahon, Doc Severinsen, and and you know, of course, Johnny Carson at the head of the helm, head of the mountain, uh, dominated TV in thirty years. Doc Severinsen was on that show, and everyone. When I say he's he's seen the world from a different perspective than anyone else, I, I know, who else sat in that uh, that position? The musicians that he's played with, I mean, the legends. I mean, just, I, you know, I, I'd be here for hours just trying to name the different people that appeared on the, on the Tonight Show. And he was the band leader. He dealt with every one of them. Then the guests, you know, the guests themselves, the, you know, the partying that they did, you know, uh, the, the dinners and everything else. But, the the newsmakers and everyone you know I don't know why Muhammad Ali comes to mind um, you know when you think of iconic people but yet you know Muhammad Ali uh, probably probably the first big nighttime appearance he did or the first nighttime appearance he did 
after his uh, his arrest and uh, and you know uh, being stripped of the belt was uh, I'm, I'm certain it was the Tonight Show and but everything anything that was was anything anything that was newsworthy the careers that were made from that show just unbelievable Doc Severinsen has been our very special guest I wish I had more time with him. I'd love to sit with him, as he just asked, and uh, and and get him for, you know, half hour, the hour, whatever. But PBS American Masters, never too late. The Doc Severinsen story is upon us. Everyone, check it out. Frank McKay signing off. Doc Severinsen from Tonight Show fame has been our very special guest, Grammy Award winner, and everything else you can imagine. Uh, iconic, legendary Doc Severinsen has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here, extinct or alive, Jaws of Alaska. Uh, gotta, gotta watch this. And uh, also, Island of Walking Sharks. Gotta watch that one. Uh, the first one, uh, you can see this Tuesday. And the next one, the day after, it's a great way to follow up. But uh, who better to talk about it than Forrest Galante? And he is uh, he's always, uh, to me, the highlight of Shark Week. Uh, it's not the Sharks that are star- the star. It's, it's Forrest when it comes down to it. And, and ah. the, the Sharks are his co-star. And somehow or another, he just, he just brings, brings it like you're right there. Uh, amazing. Uh, wildlife bi- biologist Forrest Galante, how are you? Frank, you're too kind as always. What an introduction! I'm great. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, listen, uh, thrilled to have you as uh, as always. Uh, give us a little overview, if you don't mind. Uh, start with extinct or alive jaws of Alaska. Uh, this uh, this sounds chilling. Uh, give us a give us a little overview. Hey, chilling is the right word because my team and I head up to Alaska to literally dive beneath the ice to see if we can figure out who is responsible for the recent upset in marine mammal attacks in Alaska. And it is a frigid and fun-filled adventure as we really dig into these Arctic shark species and see who is capable of what. And it is, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I, I love Alaska. I haven't seen it from that uh, standpoint. Uh, you know, at this point, uh, you know, and and I've asked you this before. I mean, you, you've you've been about sharks. You've been about wildlife. Uh, any anything new for you, or or is it? I I know it's going to be new for us. But is there anything in there new for you that you don't see? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, that's the wonderful thing, Frank, about working with wildlife is it's new every day. You never know what you're going to get. You know, there's no mundane day in and day out with animals, and there's new behaviors, there's new footage, there's new interesting science and facts coming out hand over foot. You know, and we go up to Alaska. There's some never before seen stuff. There's uh, some incredible, captivating footage of myself swimming alongside specific sleeper shark, a big deep sea monster, Island of the Walking Sharks. We filmed never before seen behavior of sharks actually leaving the ocean to walk on land. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing. Uh, and, you know, that, uh, you know, it, it brings me to the question, uh, it, you know, do you do you see things incidentally there? I, you know, I imagine, you know, people spend a a fortune and a lot of time going on whale watches. Uh, when you're going for something like this, do you see incidental 
things or because they're in different parts of uh, of the waters do you not see that I, on your way there did you see anything or on your way to seeing these sharks uh, anything else creep up oh yeah man you can't go to these kind of remote locations and not have run-ins i mean we had a grizzly bear in camp on one night uh of doing our jaws of alaska show you know in papua new guinea you'll see we have a crocodile come bombing in while I'm diving, which is a pretty hair-raising encounter. And, and we meet with a tribe of people who uh, aren't used to outside contact, that have a special relationship with sharks. There's snakes, there's bugs, there's weather. I mean, you name it, we, we go through it all. You know, when I, the only time I was in Alaska, it, it was around this time of year, if I remember correctly, and it was the midnight sun, right? And, you know, when you stay in the hotels, you have... Yeah. You have the uh, yep. the, the really tight really- curtains on the, or it's you know almost like that tape there, so you can't see because you'd never get to sleep. You know, it's 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 all there. Right. Is that is right. that what you're experiencing around this time? Yeah, you know, I hate camping in Alaska in the summertime because I like it dark when I sleep. So I got to take a whole bunch of eyeglasses with me. But yeah, you got it right. It's an amazing thing. Uh, the one thing it does do is allow us to work a lot later. So. On the Jaws of Alaska show, you'll see there's a there's a point at which I think it's 1.30 in the morning and the sun is still overhead and we're chasing orcas around in this boat. And, uh, you know, most of the time everybody be fast asleep. You know, I, I just kind of glanced over it, but you said something pretty shocking there. And, and again, the island of the walking sharks, uh, you know, they come up on the land and they, uh, they're they actually walking. Uh, it just give us a give us an overview. We're going to watch. We're going to see it for ourselves. But give us a uh, give us a little take on, on what that is like to experience for the first time. Yeah, certainly. I mean, so in Papua New Guinea, you have these three species of walking cat shark, otherwise known as epaulette sharks, that over millions of years have evolved the specialized ability to use their pelvic and pectoral fins to walk along the sea floor. Now, the rumor is in Papua New Guinea, these sharks are capable of using that ability to not just walk along the sea floor, but actually crawl up out of the ocean and enter into tide pools to hunt for small fish and crustaceans. So my team and I head there to investigate this rumor and see if we can capture this never-before-seen behavior on camera. And, uh, boy, I got to tell you, when you see behavior like that, it is quite something. I mean, it is a remarkable evolutionary factor and trait to see expressed right in front of your own eyes. I've got to believe the people in the in the general vicinity of all this, or the closest people in in the general vicinity of all this, are all about it, and uh, and uh, you probably get a lot of your your intel from uh, from some of the natives there. I don't know if they make it on on camera, but it, first of all, is that true? You you get a lot of info from them on on what's uh, on what's going on in their in their area there, and uh, and do you have them on camera? Well, of course. Yeah, of course. We couldn't do our jobs without local intel. I mean, the idea that, you know, I can pop into a place for a couple weeks and know as much or see as much as these people that live and breathe this stuff on a daily basis is is sort of laughable. So, yeah, no, we we depend a ton on local help. And, you know, sometimes that's what leads to these difficult situations. Like in if you watch Island of the Walking Sharks, you'll see there's a time in which we go to visit with a tribe that very rarely has contact from the outside world and uh you know they they came off as aggressive and hostile in the beginning but we had to connect with them because 
they're known to have a spiritual connection with these sharks. And so we had to go and meet with them and get some information. And, uh, you know, turned out they were the most lovely, friendly people you could ever imagine. But going into it, it's, it's, it's scary. Uh, listen, I, every time I talk to you, I, I'm left with a million questions, but uh, I have a feeling we'll be talking uh, real soon again. Uh, extinct or Alive Jaws of Alaska, and uh, that's Tuesday. You can see that for the first time in Island of Walking Sharks on Wednesday. Forrest, give us your website, uh, your social media sites where we can follow along with you. Yeah, I mean, I have a website. Everything's my name, right? Forrest Galante, R-R-E-S-Q, two R's in the name, G-A-L-A-N-T-E. You can find me on any of the social media channels. Uh, my website, you know, I, I a couple years ago, I co-founded a production company that I'm very proud of called Fantasticus Pictures. And Fantasticus is, as far as I know, the only production company on Earth that is willing to finance conservation work in exchange for filming rights and access. And so it's a win-win for everybody. And uh, you can check that out as well. Fantasticus spelled with a PH named after the tortoise we discovered. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's great. Reach out. I'd love to hear from people. Forrest, thanks a million for being here. My pleasure, Frank. Thanks for having me. Forrest Galante is, uh, you know, he's, he's as good as they come in this field and, you know, a wildlife uh, expert, uh, biologist, and, you know, explorer, adventure. And, you know, again, I, I, you know, do a lot of traveling myself and I, I'm into wildlife all over the world. I go to see wildlife. I don't shoot it. I, uh, you know, I'll take pictures of it or whatever. And I've been everywhere you can imagine. But this guy is like in there. He's uh, he gets himself into um, tough situations that I wouldn't necessarily uh, get into. You know, I've been to almost 60 countries, and I've said that you know quite a bit. 60 countries, all 50 United States and six continents. And, you know, he's probably been to Antarctica. I, I tried a couple of times. And, you know, one time I I had uh, I had uh, just purchased, I think, $500 worth of Arctic wear. And I was in Christchurch, New Zealand. And I was getting on a plane. I was planning on getting on a plane um, to, the, uh, uh, to Antarctica. And I was going to help unload the uh, supplies for the scientists. And uh, and I got stopped, and it's a whole long story. But I, I you know I got stopped, and uh, you know so much for for my Arctic wear wasn't uh, wasn't put into use. That's for sure. Uh, and you know I, I you know I, I I still have never gotten there. One other time, I was trying to get to Antarctica by um, by means of Tierra del Fuego, and that's the tip of Chile. And when I when I originally made the plans, I was gonna, I was gonna give money. I was gonna give, I think, a thousand dollars to somebody in the Chilean, Chilean uh, Air Force, and he was going to uh, to get me there. And I went to uh, Buenos Aires, uh, and you know that was you know where I was flying into, and I was gonna meet him there, and then we we're gonna fly to uh, somewhere in Chile, and and I got, um, I got a call. When I well, they were calling me. Uh, the individual that was setting up called me, um, and when I landed in Buenos Aires, I had all these messages saying, "Do not, do not go with anyone," and, uh, and they were concerned about like a kidnapping, you know, like a you know getting me getting kidnapped uh, because the guy canceled out and another guy was going to come and and they got all freaked out and you know they they said just go any anywhere, just do not, don't go in that same area which I, I thought was bizarre. 
and you know, I, I always uh, joke saying, you know, I've uh, I, I've asked people to pick up friends of mine at the airport. And I never thought to myself, geez, I hope hope my friend doesn't kidnap the guy he's supposed to pick him. I, I hope my friend doesn't turn around and ask for a ransom. Anyway, so it was, uh, <laughs> uh, I never got to Antarctica. Forrest Galante, everyone, has been our very special guest. Frank McKay signing off. Check out the two, the two new specials, um, and, uh, and you'll be able to stream them if you miss them on uh, on uh, their their normal times to see them there. Discovery does Shark Week very well. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with Karen and Sarah, and they're from Bananarama. And uh, honestly, the uh, the new record, the latest masquerade is just absolutely terrific. Everyone's got to get it. And I, I, I'll tell you, I, it's just, just absolutely wonderful. And so many times people, uh, you know, aren't acceptant of, uh, of new material by, uh, by people that we know that put out great material in the back. This is, this is a departure from that. Masquerade is a must, everyone. And uh, you'll know what I mean as soon as you hear it. If you haven't heard it yet, just absolutely get all over it. Uh, uh, Karen, Sarah, how are you? We're all very good. Thrilled that you like it. Thanks so much, Frank. I'm really pleased you like it. I mean, we really love doing this one, and it is to celebrate 40 years of, of making music. But I think we wrote it during lockdown, and it was really reflective and slightly nostalgic. But, um, you know, we've written all the tracks on there. I wrote a few with my daughter, who's also a singer, Alice D. Um, it's just... Um, Really, really enjoy doing it. So the response has been, it's obviously out today, and the response has been amazing. So I really appreciate your kind words. Well, it is, uh, you know, it is a, a nice feeling to know that, that people respond this way. But coming out of a pandemic, uh, you know, people people change 40 years, you know, people change over 40 years. But I think people are, are, are looking to to be happy i think people have cabin fever they want to get out there they want to they want to see they want to uh they want to hear and they want to do all of these things but bananarama is someone I, you the two of you have have created a, a feel good uh sensation for for all of these years but this is this is different this is this could start a whole new thing going uh, are you looking past this year are you uh, are you looking towards uh, towards the future and and more releases, or are you just kind of dealing with this as it's coming out? Um, I think we haven't got some sort of master plan, but uh, we 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 ourselves we self released this album, so everything came from us. It was funded by us um, from start to finish, and we are, have controlled every aspect of it which is fantastic. It makes it hugely personal to us. On top of which, we are incredibly thrilled. I think, for me, this is Karen, by the way, I think it's my favourite album we've ever done. And I think because it was done in a concentrated period of time in lockdown, that 
I don't know, it just sort of sits together as a whole album really well. So the reaction's been amazing. Um, we've been doing loads of live shows over here. We haven't quite got round to taking them uh, internationally yet because of the pandemic. But the way it's gone here, you know, after having a couple of years of lockdown, it's genuine like people have been let loose out of a cage, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> including us. Yeah. So the, the shows have been joyous and we're really help, hoping to sort of take it over stateside next year, hopefully. Sarah, let me turn to you. Uh, you know, 40 years, a lot happens in 40 years, and uh, it's technology, the the business. I mean, 40 years ago, MTV was MTV, right? It was what we, you know, it was how you broke music and, and everything else. And uh, Karen just uh, mentioned uh, the idea of doing everything on your own. 40 years ago, that would have been unheard of. It would have been an impossibility. Right. Yeah, I mean, 40 years ago, when we started off, it was uh, in the studio. It was it was tape, reel to reel. I mean, it soon went to technology, but um, everything was so laboured. It took so long, and it cost so much. And so, actually, self-releasing and uh, um, is a joy. But also, social media is now the platform to advertise on. So everything has changed. You can reach so many more people, just like MTV in its day, you can now reach people on, on your platforms. It also gives new artists and young artists, songwriters, a chance to, you know, make their music in their bedrooms and put it online and, and hopefully get lots of people to listen to it, which is, was never the case back in the day if you weren't on top of the pop so you didn't get a lucky break, particularly as females. I mean, females were not given much airtime or space to do anything. The opportunities just weren't there. So for me, that that's a great change. The way things are moving, it's it's much better. Certainly, to empower women to reach other people as well. Karen, let me turn to you. And when you're when you're recording, you know, obviously modern modern day. I mean, everyone's has has like a Pro Tools or a Cubase or a Logic or something along the, those lines. Uh, how much different was this process uh, of getting to the point where, where this album's out uh, as it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago? But how much different was your process, your personal uh, process for Banana Rama to get to this point? Um, uh, did it feel different? I mean, I, it obviously is, but uh, or does it, is, is it just kind of a, a modern day version of what you did then? I, I mean, I think we've always been quite hands-on in the studio. I mean, we learned from some amazing producers um, when we first started how to arrange songs and how to present songs, which is something that we did have no experience in. I mean, we're pretty confident in the studio now and, and involved in every step of the creative part of it. Um, we absolutely love doing vocal arrangements and we're very comfortable with our producer Ian who we've worked with for 10 years so we we have an environment where we can absolutely try anything or suggest anything I have to say as far as working the equipment goes he does that so we don't have to because <laughs> I think if we were to sit at a computer and try and put a song together it would probably be as long as a process as it was in the 80s quite frankly yeah. <laughs> we're not technically minded but we are Musically minded, uh, Sarah. Let me let me go back to something you said. You you said you basically uh, done a lot of shows, but uh, you haven't ventured out internationally. Is that in response to uh, the pandemic and and COVID, or uh, have you just uh, kind of planned it uh, for the future? How much was that driven by the pandemic? 
Oh, definitely. But I mean, every show we had in the books was cancelled, as it was for every artist. But um, we were we were booking stuff, uh, being booked to, to do tours in and things in uh, the rest of Europe, and then they were just cancelled. So we've ended up with hundreds of British Airways vouchers for the flights because we couldn't take them. They were all cancelled, so it's quite annoying. So obviously, we started off this year. Um, there was also a vinyl delay. So our album was supposed to be out at the beginning of the year, but now it's, it's halfway through the year, and so we have all the summer festivals, so it's absolutely jam-packed. So there's no way we can actually go out of the country. We haven't even had a holiday. So um, ho- hopefully we can look into plans of, of coming to America next year, because I'd really love to do that. Karen, uh, Sarah, congratulations on, on the album. Masquerade is terrific. And 40 years, a wonderful career Thank you. Uh, to both of you. Uh, can you give us a social media site before you go? Either one, uh, social media site, website that we could follow uh, with what you're doing with Bananarama? Okay, our website is bananarama.co.uk. And obviously you'll find us on Bananarama Official on Instagram and Twitter, um, Facebook. Yeah. Karen... Sarah, congratulations once again, and thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bananarama, everyone. Uh, The album is terrific. Uh, The Masquerade. You know, I'm impressed every time someone... From from the past, and again, when you think of Bananarama, you don't think, you know, early 2000s. You think, you know, you think 80s, right? You think MTV, and you think that that era i'm impressed when people are doing new albums and and it's good i'm telling you to, listen you'll uh, you'll get it uh, and if you like bananarama you're gonna like masquerade for sure but uh, you know the the cure uh did something uh recently and uh you know i talked to dave mason recently and you know you know obviously a different style but he's been around you know for 50 years right he's been around longer than these guys and he was the era uh, prior to that with traffic and everything else and you know and I, I asked him if he's writing new material and he's known as a singer songwriter he was like no he was like you know if you can't really get it out what's it you know and and it was a little disappointing that he uh, that he said that and it's I'm not disparaging Dave Mason by any means a great artist and Hall of Famer you know rock and roll Hall of Famer but it's nice uh, that that artist that we know from uh, from back then, you know, and forty years ago. Let's face it, it is back then, and uh, you know, if uh, if they are doing new material and they're putting themselves out there, kudos to them. You know, it, it used to be you put out an album and then you tour to support the album. Now it's kind of like you tour and uh, and you put out an album to sell at at concerts or you know just as an extra revenue stream uh you know it's like a t-shirt you know the albums become come the t-shirt or the hat the bumper sticker of of the road and that's uh you know kind of backwards uh that we're used to uh, seeing things done and that to me is disappointing this is you know this is different they're they're putting it out and then they're um, and they're touring in order to promote to me that's a uh, that's a great thing and uh, you know kudos to everyone out there recording and being creative uh, touring is you know touring is fantastic but I mean when you when you don't put out new material I I, I don't understand it quite frankly I mean it, you know people out there um, that were were song singers songwriters originally or just songwriters musicians songwriters and uh, and for some reason they just decided 
just stop. I'm not going to write anymore. You know, that's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that's like. It's like, uh, you know, a, an author, a novelist said, I'm not going to write books anymore. I'm just going to, I'm going to tour talking about my old books or, you know, something along those lines. It's, uh, different, but similar. Frank McKay signing off. Karen and Sarah from Bananarama have been our very special guests. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Frank McKay. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, uh, we're here today to talk, uh, talk about Muhammad Ali a bit, and we're in the midst of a, uh, a, a special film by the, the great Ken Burns. And as far as Muhammad Ali goes, I, I don't know. Uh, as hard as I try, I can't find a historical uh, comparison to him that, uh, that really touches on, on people reaching outside of their own field. The Beatles collectively certainly have changed so much outside of their field. Uh, but uh, Muhammad Ali... Was uh, was someone I think is, is maybe more relevant today uh, than he was while he was uh, active and trusted. Well, you know, Frank, you hit the you you hit the nail on the head, Frank. That was just perfectly said. There is no one in boxing uh, that has ever transcended it. There's no one in sports who's transcended it. Even Jackie Robinson, I don't think. You know, when Muhammad Ali died, he died the most beloved person on the planet with billions, that's with a B, people mourning him and admiring him uh, from afar. How this happens is such a strange journey. There's been lots of documentaries on Muhammad Ali and some really good ones, but they focus on a particular fight or a couple of fights or a period in his life. We did the whole thing from birth in segregated Jim Crow, Louisville, Kentucky, to death by Parkinson's uh, just five years ago, 2016. All the fights, all the personal spiritual journey, the personal life, the growing up, all of that sort of stuff. I'm so happy you mentioned the Beatles, though, Frank, because there's a, you know, he's training for the Liston fight in February of 64. This is, coincides with the British invasion. And who should turn up at the second floor kind of seedy Fifth Street gym in Miami while he's training? But John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And, of course, there's, you know, these, they, they mug for the cameras and the newsreels, and there's a shot of him punching George, who I think is going into... Ringo, who's going into John, who's going into Paul, and, you know, yeah. they're going down like dominoes. But it occurred to me as I looked at that over and over again over the course of seven years of working on this film, is that these five men understood the essential mechanics of the universe. John Lennon said it, love is all you need. Paul McCartney probably said it best. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And Muhammad Ali was no stranger to those sentiments and that understanding. You don't die the most beloved person on the planet unless you are giving and making love as well as taking it. And he said on his gravestone, it says, service to others 
is the price you pay for your room in heaven. And I am certainly as a gigantic room because in the end, this is a story about freedom, difficult for a black man to achieve in America. It's about courage, willing to not just get into the ring and survive even well past your prime, but also about his stance, his moral stance, his faith-based stance against the war in Vietnam. And then it's about love. And those three things are three combination punches, you know, freedom, courage, and love, uh, which is why he did what you so beautifully expressed, just transcended in a way no other person has ever transcended their sport. I'm so I'm so grateful that you took took on Muhammad Ali, and I I knew you know that you had been working on it, but it what, what a perfect a, a perfect match for you and uh, and your partners on this, and uh, just just absolutely wonderful. The amazing thing to me, well, I mean, so many things amazing about uh, Ali was that he. He didn't try to, to, to cater. He wasn't a people pleaser, so to speak, right? He just was so honest. And everything he did, uh, from his Muslim faith to, uh, to his, uh, his stance on the, civil, uh, on, on the uh, Vietnam War, everything that he did uh, it would fly in the face that this man would end up uh, one of the most beloved figures, if not the most beloved figures that we've ever seen. He was yeah, just so honest. I think a lot of it has to do with that, that after a while, you know, we're, we tend to be in a media culture kind of reactive. You know, we're quick to be negative, uh, quick to find flaws. And look, this is an outside life, and he's got some glaring flaws, which our film is unafraid of examining and holding his feet to the fire. But he understands them himself towards the end of his life and does his best to attend uh, or atone for those flaws. But, but I think you're right. Uh, there's a kind of reactive sense, and then we miss. Uh, the larger thing, but as time passes, you know, by the time he's fighting Frazier and losing to Frazier in 71, Americans are realizing, oh my God, he was right about Vietnam. And, and secondly, look what he did. He gave up three and a half years at the prime of his career because of his beliefs, knowing he could have gotten a cushy job in Vietnam. He'd never been put on the front lines, but he said, no, I'd rather face machine gun today than go against my own teachings, my own faith. And after a while, people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They see it as a political decision by a black man giving a middle finger to America, which then, in 1966, supported the war. A majority of Americans supported it. By 71, a majority of Americans, overwhelming majority, felt that Vietnam had been a mistake. And so all of a sudden, he's kind of rehabilitated, and you realize that honesty was always refreshing. You realize that that humor was always infectious. You realize that the commitment was sincere and deep and heroic. And that's the story we try to tell, whether it's the heroism in the ring or the heroism in, in life, or the failings in the personal side of things and the successes in the personal side of things. It's just, it's just a great story. It's like having a tiger by the tail or you know, suddenly being handed the keys to a car you know, with a souped-up engine, you know, that's got, got a V, uh, you know, a V12, and uh, you've been going along with a little go-kart. You know, he's, he's just too much, too, too great. 
Uh, Ken Burns is our very special guest. Uh, Muhammad Ali is our subject. His latest film it is a must, must watch uh, for everyone, especially if you have kids. Make sure the kids watch it because I think uh, yeah. you cannot figure out a more teachable moment uh, than this this film going on. Uh, Frank McKay here with Ken Burns. Ken, I know a lot of people are waiting to talk to you, but was there anything in this film, in the research, the seven years, that was surprising to you, or was was it more uh, confirmation of things that you understood? Well, you and, know, and it already? was all it was all surprising, Frank. I mean, I grew up with this guy. I was seven years old when he won gold in Rome. I remember being told about that. I listened to the listen fight. I mean, it, it just I've been with him, and I just figured, oh, finally a project in which I know something. Every day of this was a new revelation, a kind of daily humility, hum, you know, a humility about what I didn't know. And so it's going to be in little tiny facts. It's going to be in big, huge scope. But at the end, you're just going to realize, He's much wiser than you think. He's more soft-spoken than you think. He's more graceful than you think. He's a greater athlete than you think, that the odds of him winning against, say, Liston or, or Foreman are so formidable, and yet he prevails. These are, these are great stories that, as you say, we need to retell to our children and our grandchildren. You know, fortunately, PBS is making all of this available for free uh, for streaming. So if you're missing the actual broadcast, uh, you can get it, you know, at pbs.org uh, slash Ali. Yeah, no, bless them for doing that. That's absolutely incredible. Can you give us a website, a social media site where we could follow along with you and, and uh, of course, anything uh, that you haven't touched on that you'd like to add before you leave? Well, I've got a Twitter account. It's at Ken Burns. There's a lot of stuff going on, but PBS has Twitter and Facebook stuff you can go to and there'll be a lot more information the best thing is pbs.org that's the website you want to go to slash ali and you'll get not only the access to the free streaming uh for weeks but you'll also get access to all the different things we've had lots of wonderful uh recorded conversations with contemporary athletes and and folks discussing the aspects of ali four great conversations we did with espn and the undefeated that were just fantastic hour-long conversations in which you can, you know, dive deeper. So it's all there. Ken, uh, congratulations on on the latest addition to your incredible body of work. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me, Frank. Ken Burns, everyone, the incomparable Ken Burns, uh, amazing film maker documentary filmmaker he stands alone in my in my view what he's done and what he's accomplished in his career is second to none i i can't think of anyone anyone who has done what he has done with the 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 genre of of documentary uh filmmaking and uh, historical documentaries muhammad ali is a, a favorite of mine favorite subject and, you know, I, I, I said it on the outset, and, you know, he certainly agreed. Uh, other than the, the Beatles collectively, I don't know any figure from the, the world of pop culture or entertainment aside from Muhammad Ali and, again, collectively the Beatles that have had the impact on society that Muhammad Ali has had. And, and uh, you know, thankfully, thankfully uh, Ken Burns is... Uh, taking this on seven year 
project for him and to get it out I mean it's just uh, just just amazing and it's wonderful you got to check it out um, you know I've got a stream here but you could easily find it Muhammad Ali well Ali Ken Burns PBS and uh, he's absolutely terrific we've had Ken with us four times five times and he is he's just again he stands alone he stands alone in my mind as uh, as as the greatest historical uh, documentary maker filmmaker and certainly uh, uh, american filmmaker uh, you know in this genre he's he's as good as you could ever imagine his work is terrific the civil war baseball jazz uh, the brooklyn bridge uh, just absolutely amazing frank mckay signing off ken burns the great Ken Burns has been our very special guest. Muhammad Ali has been our subject. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down.